Hi, welcome. Today I'm joined by Dan Shields. Dan serves as our Director of Worship Arts uh, on all of our campuses, Wexford, Butler County, the Strip District, and our chapel venue. And so today we wanted to take just a few moments. This wasn't actually a question that anybody sent in, but it was one I thought with Dan here it would be good just to talk about. And that is a little bit about trends in worship. Hmm. Uh, one of the things we've done in our chapel service is we've added a service that's very different than the services mm. that we have in our main space and then in our in our venues that are off-site. Yeah. And what's different about it is that uh, our main service, <laughs> if you wanted to characterize, is kind of a rock and roll feel. It's got mm. kind of a Chris Tomlin passion worship, if that means anything to you. But 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 if you don't, if it doesn't mean anything to you, you walk into our into our worship center. It might feel to some people like you're going to a Coldplay concert, um, and then there's there's teaching with the words of the songs being about Jesus instead of about uh, relationships or whatever Coldplay songs are yeah, about. Yeah. Uh, so you know there's lights and there's things, and it's just very uh, that kind of a vibe. What we've done in our chapel is we've created a, a service that has some liturgy, some rhythm, some high church moments, and some contemporary moments all together. Mm -hmm. So talk to us about why we did that and why we think it's important enough to not just say everybody should go to the same exact worship style and service. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's a really good uh, uh, question, delineation. You know, it's funny, because even, uh, even at our other venues, uh, you know, they've, uh, they look and feel in some ways like Orchard Hill, but they're, I, I always liken them to uh, brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Same DNA, but very different in personality. You know, mm -hmm. so somebody from the outside would be able to spot that they're all one family, but in the family, you get to really see the personality. Mm -hmm. So. If you go to the Strip District or Butler, you're gonna experience something that feels like Orchard Hill, but really is unique to that uh, location and you know, the culture that's around that location. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, talking about the liturgical service though, um, it, it might be good actually just to talk about like the, the bigger vision of the church and where mm -hmm. we came from as a church. Um, you know, 20 some years ago, uh, there was a group of people down at, um, I guess 30 years now, at uh, St. Stephen's down in Swickley. Wonderful church. It was sort of a high liturgy church and uh, you know just a, a great church, but it, it was a type of place where you'd show up in a suit and tie, you would hear high liturgy. Uh, it was the type of architecture and building that you would expect from church. And there were a group of people, I think, that uh, they started really wondering and asking the question, how do we pass the baton of Christianity on to the next generation? How do we pass this on to our kids and our grandkids? Uh, how do we speak the language that they speak? Uh, and they also realized that, you know, there, there were some friends that uh, they could invite into the church and they would have a really good church experience, but some uh, sort of had that, I've been there and I've done that and that's not my cup of tea thing. And so they really wanted to speak into the culture and, uh, you know, be able to speak to somebody right where they were at and maybe a different way that the high liturgical service didn't. Uh, and they had a couple phrases that they, they would use back then. They, they said stuff like, uh, we want to keep the content but change the container. And what they meant by that is they, they didn't want to veer from historical Christianity. They didn't want to veer from uh, what the Bible said, uh, but they wanted to present it in a new way. You know, so for them, what that meant is, you know, maybe they would have more contemporary music. They'd have rock and roll guitars or drums. Maybe there'd be lights. Uh, sometimes they would do dramas and skits that were like, you know, everyday life situations that you just wouldn't see in a high church. Uh, they did videos where they would go out on the street and ask people certain questions about hot button topics of the day. And again, those things, uh, e even though the, the liturgical service uh, at the church really had some wonderful things to offer, they just weren't a part of that service. And they realized they really wanted to do some things 
uh, that just opened the door to a group of people who might not darken the church doors ever in their life after they, you know, grew up. Um, so that was really the, the idea. And, you know, our idea really hasn't changed at all uh, in that, you know, the, the whole idea of this church is to help people find and follow Jesus. So we want to be true to the word of God, but as far as like the methodologies, you know, I, I think we probably see ourselves a little bit like uh, missionaries in a culture. So, you know, if, if, uh, if we sent missionaries to Papua New Guinea, they might wear the clothes that people were wearing there. They might sing the types of songs that they're singing there, but they're still telling people about Jesus. Um, so when we formed our church uh, 30 years ago, when that group formed, uh, that's what they were really set out to do, to be able to pass the baton of Christianity. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because the culture, uh, and, and I think it's been really effective. You know, we have had literally thousands and thousands of people, young families come through the doors of this church, people who uh, maybe left the church when they were young or never really were churched, and they came to find out who Jesus was, and their lives were completely transformed. Families were transformed, uh, and in some ways, you know, regions were touched and changed in uh, some small ways, you know, uh, by the power of what God was doing. Uh, one thing that was interesting, though, a couple years ago, maybe uh, uh, four or five years ago, we started dreaming about having a space uh, in this space, the chapel, and part of it was we wanted to be able to have memorial services for people, not just out in our lobby, and uh, weddings for people that, you know, most young girls don't dream about walking down the aisle of a lobby. They want to be in a church, you know, in a beautiful mm -hmm. church setting. So that was part of the driver of this. Uh, but I think uh, you and a, a number of people really uh, had some real excitement about having the possibility of a new type of church service, uh, which was really an old type of church mm -hmm. service, a more high liturgical service that would be in a more traditional type of uh, setting. Uh, and I think that was one of the big drivers of it. And one of the things that um, I, I had heard you say a lot and I had read a number of times was that, and this was, this was interesting to me, um, among the youth, there was a little bit of a movement of people moving more towards liturgical traditional services and away from the, what you'd call the rock and roll service, you know, the Coldplay type of service. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, you know, for us, uh, thinking through how uh, we'd like to pass the baton on to the next generation, that was a big deal for us. Um, so I, th I think that was some of the origins of what yeah, we Yeah, I think did. What, what happens, I think, in generations in church is a lot of times what you grew up with, you want to discover something that's yours, mm. not yes. just your parents. Sometimes you right. love going to your parents' church. Yeah. And other times you say, you know, this is mine. And, yes. and what happened 20, 30 years ago is people would say, I, I, I want my own version that is my enculturation. Yes. And so Orchard Hill became that for a generation. But now mm. we have a generation of people who've grown up in churches like Orchard Hill. Right. Where they're saying, this is the church I grew up in. It's in step with culture, yeah. uh, which that phrase may rub some people wrong. But, but the idea of the, the music choices and the presentation and everything mm. else. And they almost want something that feels more historical and aligned mm. with creeds, aligned with history, aligned with some things that, that make it feel more rooted. And even totally. though it's rooted, as you pointed out so well, in the word of God regardless, mm. so that the base content is exactly the same, that they enjoy that feeling of, of liturgy and worshiping with people from past centuries, yes. not just today. And yes. some of the more historical music that, that's been appreciated rather than what is currently being written. And again, we certainly in our, in our main services do that as well, but, yeah. but, but to a different degree. And so totally. that, that's been part of the driver. And, and what we found is that, is that it allows uh, for 
um, diverse people in one congregation. And this is nothing new or unique to Orchard Hill. Churches have done this for a long time mm. where you say that the content's the same, but the style's different and mm. style attracts different people. And, and yeah. so that's become a positive for us as well. And, uh, and so uh, that takes place, if, if you're interested, 9.30 a.m. in our Wexford campus uh, in the chapel, beautiful space that, that you can partake in. So, yeah. so Dan, here's a, a, another question around worship, and this is something somebody sent in. It said, um, I was just wondering, with all the controversy surrounding Hillsong and Bethel Church, especially some of their teachings, do you think that by singing some of their very popular and catchy Jesus Culture Elevation Worship or Bethel Music Songs and Services or Our Homes, that it's acceptable or generally a good idea? So if you're not familiar uh, kind of with this question, great question, very discerning question. Uh, the person saying, look, uh, in kind of the worship services at Orchard Hill and maybe at home, uh, radio, different things, some of the worship music that's coming out that is most catchy, most popular, comes from some churches, uh, Hillsong, Bethel, Elevation, some different places, where, where the theology has been suspect to many, not everybody certainly, but many have looked at it and said there's some things those churches teach that, that, that are maybe not mainstream to Christianity. So by singing the music, by using the songs in public worship, are we endorsing that, driving people to it, thus uh, creating a possibility for false teaching to be uh, digested, ingested mm. by, by people? And it really a uh, great question as a parent to say, I'm doing this with my kids, is mm. this wise even? Uh, it says even a particular song um, that has nothing in it that contradicts biblical teachings? Are we endorsing, promoting, or even introducing people to some questionable teachings coming from these churches as many people are introduced into these particular churches first by hearing the music? My particular concern is as a parent, are we pointing children who are not able to discern to churches uh, that we should really be cautious about pointing them toward uh, their teachings and beliefs. Thank you so much for any insight into this issue. It's greatly appreciated. So you are tasked yeah. with the job at Orchard Hill of choosing the music. That's right. Uh, you and the team that you work with, that yep. is one of your areas. And I know you pay a lot of attention to the theology of the songs, yes. not just to the tune and the singability and, and right. everything else. So how do you personally reconcile this idea of of sometimes you choose a song where you say, theologically, I've vetted it, and I think this person says, you know, mm -hmm. nothing objectionable in that particular song, mm -hmm. but, but is it pointing people to churches that have, have some, some bad theology? Right, um, right. And again, that would be a whole nother podcast to talk about what's, what might be questionable or objectionable in these churches. So we're just yes. going to take that on face value at the moment, not yeah. even debate that, but just say if this person finds it objectionable, um, you, you know, so, so is that introducing? And I would probably agree there are some things in those churches mm -hmm. that, yes, that yeah. we would not teach or endorse or want taught at Orchard Hill. So, Correct, yeah. so, so how do you reconcile that? Yeah, and I, I think endorsement is really the, uh, the key word there. Are we endorsing something from uh, you know, a group of people that we would have some fairly sharp theological disagreements with. Um, well, let me walk you through first, and I, I don't know that you know the person's not asking this question, but just to give you a little bit of like background on how we choose songs, we have a great team of people who uh, who works through that. Um, but how we go about finding the songs that we find, if anybody has any interest in that, you know, the the first factor is just do we like the song? To be honest with you. Mm -hmm. We hear a song. If we don't like a song, we're not going to do the song. You know, but if it's a catchy song, we like the song. We think it's a good song. Uh, as far as you know, it's it's just a likable song. 
Uh, and just as a quick aside on that, uh, we deeply realize that um, worship is not about what we like and don't mm -hmm. like. It's, it's really about worshiping God. Uh, ultimately, it's about what pleases but him. But it's easier to worship God with a song you like than a Correct. song you don't like. You know, and, and God, right. I, I don't think God's impressed with any of our songs. I think he's really impressed with our heart that's going mm -hmm. after him. So if there's a song that somebody really loves, uh, they're probably going to engage more deeply in that. Yeah. So, so, you know, we want a song that people like and we try to pick songs that people like. The second thing we have to think about is, can we pull the song off? So for instance, you know, if, if I listened to a song and it was heavy duty gospel, well, I, I know our team would, wouldn't be able to pull that off well. Uh, there's some things where you have you to need ask- a choir behind you. Correct. In order you know, to pull that off Or well. certain singers or uh, right. the band might not be able to pull it off. Or, or like one of the popular things right now is like EDM music where it's just mm -hmm. all electronic music. So we would have, you know, six musicians on stage just standing there doing nothing. So mm -hmm. sometimes those songs get eliminated just by our capabilities of what mm -hmm. we're able to do and not able to do. And then you have to ask the question, is it singable for the congregation? And that actually is a, a more important question than you'd think. So you have to think of ranges. Do, are people able to sing these things? You have to think of intervals. Can they, you know, untrained people sing things that, you know, some of our really highly skilled singers are able to sing? Uh, is it rhythmically too complex for them? Because what you don't want is you don't want to perform on stage for people and not have them engage mm -hmm. in worship. So you, you have to put it through that filter. But if it passes all those, then it goes into the last filter for me, uh, which is the words of the song. And so then that's when I really, like obviously if there's something that's really disagreeable, I'm gonna spot that right away and the song won't make it through any of those right, filters. I was gonna say, it probably should be the first filter, in, but in, in, in a way, way it is, is and you know, in you another hear some, way, right. Yeah, you hear something on Caleb and you think, right. oh, that's a good song, and then right. you listen through it more with more discernment, and then right. you actually print out the words and look at them and say, okay, what do we mm -hmm. got here? Uh, is it teaching anything? And I think that is really, really important. And the reason I say that that's, that is so important, and some churches really don't think about that very much, but, but here we really do wrestle and struggle with that. Uh, the reason I say that it's so important is because I think it has a deep impact on people's souls. Uh, they're saying things that really can impact their theology. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you think about it, like I, I deeply believe uh, by a long shot that the preaching of the word of God is the single most important thing that happens in a worship service for the long-term impact on somebody's soul and life. So, you know, sitting week after week, month after month, year after year under good sound biblical teaching is gonna affect you more than anything else in a church service. Mm -hmm. But the reality is if I would, uh, if I would ask somebody, uh, January 2017, what did Kurt, Kurt preach about? Mm -hmm. Very few people are going to know. You wouldn't know, mm -hmm. probably. If I told the, you know, a little bit about this, they might remember little bits and pieces or they might mm -hmm. remember an illustration. But if I started singing a song from back right. then, they're liable to just join in with me. Right. Something with music and memory uh, makes it very powerful. So the words that you say are deeply important, and we recognize that, and we're very cautious with that. So what my grid was uh, for the longest time is I always said that I would choose a song uh, based on the words of the song itself. And what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to have to get into the background theology of everybody who wrote the song. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason for that. Uh, one of the main reasons is sometimes you have six, seven people, five, six, seven people writing a song, right. like you'll see on the song credits. Well, to track down their theology is right. almost impossible. And even like the old hymns, like my hunch is if I track down the theology of some of these great some of hymn writers, would get rid of, I would right. say I, I've got real suspect of some of them. Right. You know, I mean, I can think of some off the top of my head where I strongly Give disagree us one with for the instance, writer. Just so we know yeah, so what you're talking about. Yeah, so come thou fount of mm -hmm. every blessing. Well, that guy ended up be becoming apostate. Mm -hmm. He walked away from the faith and said, I don't believe in Jesus Christ anymore. Mm -hmm. 
but most churches around the country still sing that hymn because right. it's a great hymn that has great words. So in that case, we're choosing the words of the song, right. not the theology of the person. And that's the way that we sort of like lived for a long time. Uh, but I remember a couple of years ago, you approached me and started saying like, I've got some real red flags with some of the churches who are the publishing companies over mm -hmm. these songs. And some of the, s the uh, songs that are coming out of these churches, the churches feel like in some ways they're theologically going off the rails mm -hmm. if they were on the rails ever. Uh, and, and there were some concerns of yours. And you know, your, one of your primary jobs is not just as a teacher, mm -hmm. but it is as the shepherd of the flock. And you do have to watch for wolves and you do have to mm -hmm. watch for things that are dangerous for the congregation. And theologically, that's one of the most important things that you do is to, to really protect the people here. So when you say something like that, it's a big red flag to mm -hmm. me and it's something that, that I concern myself with. Uh, so we started having these discussions and uh, I'm, I'm gonna pass the ball to you to you know, just mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what maybe the red flags were and then how we started discussing back right. and forth with this. Yeah. Yeah, before you do that, I want to I not let you off the hot seat just yet. Yeah, because, yeah, sure. Because you didn't actually answer the, the crux of the question. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and, and what you're picking up, is, if this was your question especially, is this is actually something Dan and I have spent a lot of time on. We've been wrestling with the issue. Mm -hmm. So a so very perceptive, good question. Um, and, and the reason I want to just push it back to you before I speak into it yeah. is, is, so how do you personally reconcile saying I'm mm. going to like I get hey there's six songwriters I can't yeah. trace it all down but sometimes there's a clear songwriter or origin mm. and you know that some of the stuff that's coming out of that uh, for example Bethel I'll just answer yeah, yeah. this part of it uh, you know they, they they've taught some things uh, about um, Holy Spirit uh, coming in gold dust in their thing and some Correct, things yeah. where you're just like, eh, I'm not sure. And, and they have some other views again in terms of apostles yes. uh, being an active agent <clears throat> today, meaning that, that their leaders speak with the same authority as the word of God. Yes. Uh, I find that completely theologically objectionable. Uh, I believe as a leader of a local church, I am subservient to the word of God in the same way that Absolutely. every other person is and that I have no special authority. And if I can't prove something from the scripture, it is no more true um, because I say it than anybody else says it. And, and I think that leads to all kinds of theological error. So that's an example mm -hmm. of maybe the problem here. So, so how do you reconcile personally having songs that point people to those churches where all of a sudden next thing you know they're they're going like Bethel's an example that again they have a worship school and I know mm -hmm. some some people uh, who, who have been raising money to go to the worship school and I'm thinking mm -hmm. I don't want to give you money to go to that worship school because that's right. you're going to learn things that that I don't think are biblical so Abs so, so so they started with sitting in a church somewhere singing a song from Bethel yeah. saying that that's a great song where did it come from I want all the worship music I can get and yeah. now all of a sudden they're on a track of saying I'm going to go to the worship school so how do you live with that as a yeah, yeah. song selector yeah and, and I'll, I'll say that it has been a struggle for me to be honest mm -hmm. with you so um, again what I didn't say in the in my choice of selection of songs is I, I do have a bigger grid for choice of selection of songs, and that's, that's this. If something is out of the pale of Christian orthodoxy, mm -hmm. I just simply don't do it. Of course. If it's a Mormon song or a Buddhist song, we're, we're not gonna sing that song no matter how right biblically those words might be. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, th so I, I see that center sort of bullseye, if you think of concentric mm -hmm. circles of theology, the center one is just orthodoxy. Is it orthodox? And what I mean by that is not Russian or Greek. I mean, 
is it, uh, is it part of the historic Christian church or is it something that goes outside that would be a cult or heretical mm-hmm. or something like that? So simple things like if you believe the creeds, that's a really important thing. If you mm-hmm. say the Trinity is not you know, valid, Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's something that I, you know, mm-hmm. I would say we're just not going to do songs from mm-hmm. churches like that. But then there's a second tier of theology that I would say is core and highly important. These are things that we can have some real disagreements with churches on based on the Bible and how we interpret the Bible. And I would say, for instance, a church like Bethel, uh, I would strongly agree that we would have some sharp theological disagreements with. I would personally have some sharp dis- disagreements with them. Um, so that does cause some challenges. Now, you know, are they in that center? You know, some people would argue no. Mm-hmm. They would say that Bethel and Hillsong and some other churches are heretical churches. I do think people throw around the word heresy a little bit too mm-hmm. easily these days. I don't think they put the um, thought into it necessarily. And there is the possibility that you're accusing brothers and sisters mm-hmm. who you're going to spend eternity with uh, of something that's really heinous. Uh, so y- you have to be cautious with that. But nonetheless, uh, I think you can say we have some sharp theological disagreements. Um, you know, this morning I, in my devotional time, just in my personal reading, I just happened to be reading Ephesians 4, and it was talking about how we should have unity in the faith. Um, but, you know, in something like that, uh, it, it also talked about that we should not be blown around by winds of doctrine mm-hmm. and that there are wolves in sheep's clothing in our midst, and you have to be cautious. So I, where we've quickly landed is um, basically we're shying away from the songs from, uh, from Bethel especially. I haven't put in any Bethel songs in a long time. Um, so we just have basically stopped um, putting in new songs by them. And Hillsong, uh, it's been a while since we've put in songs. Now, like last weekend, we did a song by Hillsong. I love this song. It's mm-hmm. called The Creed. It's the words of the Apostles' mm-hmm. Creed, basically. It's a very powerful song. I'm glad we're singing it. But, you know, what we're basically doing now is we're shying away from looking at mm-hmm. those songs from those churches and trying to find other great songs that, uh, that we can have in our church service. Yeah, and, and what I would say, especially to the person who wrote this question, is as a parent, um, teach the possibility of discernment even to your kids, mm. meaning um, yeah. it's okay to read something from a different perspective. It's okay to sing something or to hear something from a different perspective, but learn how to discern what is true. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly you want to be careful how much you take on that is, that, that is contrary to what um, you believe. But at mm. the same time, uh, some of that's just having a good open mind. And, and, and if you don't, what happens is your world keeps getting smaller and smaller until mm. soon the only people who can write songs are those who attend the church that you're at. And even right. then you would say, well, I don't believe everything they believe. Correct. And, yeah. and, and so there's a fine line there somewhere between you do have to draw some lines yes. and yet becoming so narrow that everything becomes just you and your uh, people who agree with you. Yeah, and you, being able to say, we can appreciate things <clears throat> that are true from people who we don't agree with everything that they have to do. And so where we've landed, as Dan said, is is we didn't want to be heavily dominated by, by music from all mm. of those places, but we didn't want to say we'll never do any of it. Uh, we wanted to say, you know, there, there can be some discernment in that. And, and then what we've tried to do through our teaching is highlight some of the distinctions Absolutely. without necessarily naming everybody, because again, you can't name everybody you disagree yes. with, but, but, to, but to highlight the idea, like I just said, that, that at 
our church, we wouldn't say that I or anybody else has any special line to God. Yes. My line to God is the same as everybody else's. So by, by teaching that over and over, our hope is that when somebody hears somebody say, I'm an apostle, I've been ordained by God for this place and time, they go, ding, 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 that's right, not Mike. biblical, right. and I don't buy it, and therefore I should be suspect of anything this person says. That's right. And that is the argument against the music, is because mm. you say, if, if they have that view, then, then you should be suspect of anything. But again, if you can say, art is a little different. Mm. Like, to be honest, I probably wouldn't sit under the teaching of Bill Johnson. Same, yeah. Simply because of his belief that he's an apostle Correct. who has this, this direct line. Yes. Um, so I do get why people say you shouldn't listen to the music. But I think, as you said, sometimes there's a song like the Creed. I think one of their big songs was It Is Well With My Soul. It was a rework yes. of the old hymn, It Is Well. Yeah, which is very a powerful. great song, yep. um, well done. And, and so to say, we're not going to do a modern version of it as well because it's tied to that. Yeah. Seems like we're overly reducing our circle, um, but at the same time saying we don't want to just be known as a place that just consumes that exact musical style or preference. Yeah. And so. we are to be discerning. You know, I mean, the word of God, uh, it, it commended the Bereans for not just seeing the acts of the apostles, so what they did in their miraculous, which a lot of these churches are mm -hmm. doing those same things, but it always weighted against the word of God, and yeah. it let the word of God uh, dictate what real truth was, not experience or not what they saw with their eyes, and that was a really important thing, and I think it's an important thing for people who belong to those churches, right. not to let the miraculous seem to be the endorsement of what's happening, right. but let the word of God really stand as the pinnacle that's of truth. a whole other podcast to talk yeah. about the, the miraculous and the validation of those things. Uh, thank you for taking a few minutes uh, with us. If you have questions, send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. We'll be happy to address it in the days ahead. Thank you.